huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Welcome to the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast with Matthew Sardo. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ass. <laughs> Holy sh! <laughs> they're actually monkeys fighting robots! You can follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots and on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. Make sure to download and review our podcast from iTunes and Stitcher. And now, here's your host, Matt. <laughs> Welcome to the 11th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. It's Friday, people, and the weather is warm. Hopefully, you're sitting at an outdoor patio, drinking a margarita, listening to me talk about margaritas. That's super meta, by the way. Every once in a while, I get to talk with somebody that is truly special and definitely makes me feel like I've accomplished absolutely zero. My next guest has been covering the NBA for 10 years. That sounds like a journalist approaching veteran status, you know, 10 years in the league, covering it. It's pretty steady work. Get this. He started covering the NBA at the age of 14. Age of 14. You know what I was doing at 14? I was deciding whether or not I should stop collecting G.I. Joe's. I was like, listen, I really like G.I. Joe's, but they're going through this like eco phase. I don't know if I'm, I'm down with that. And, and it looks like I should be acting like an adult. And so the G.I. Joe's should probably go to the wayside because they're eco warriors now. It just wasn't, wasn't a good time for the Joe family at that time. Alex Kennedy is the managing editor of Basketball Insiders. And he's a social media monster. You know, social media monsters like a little Godzilla on Twitter. Hey, Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. The NBA playoffs are going on right now, so it's got to be an exciting time for you. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. This postseason's uh, been very exciting. I think we have a lot of great theories going on. You're the managing editor of Basketball Insiders. Can you describe your journey? Yeah, it's been a very interesting journey, a kind of strange journey, honestly. Uh, I was 14 years old when I started covering basketball games. Uh, I actually emailed the Orlando Magic PR department and asked for a credential to a game after I had been uh, writing for a few smaller basketball websites. Uh, unfortunately, they let me cover a few different games. You know, at that point, I was really young and just trying to figure out if it's something I wanted to do for a career. And then once I started covering games and interacting with players, I realized that this was my dream job. And uh, it's been great. You know, from there, uh, four years later, at 18 years old, I got my first job, my first paying job at Basketball Insiders, uh, and I was just writing one time a week. Uh, and then after about a year or two, started editing, and, and kind of my role expanded there. So now I'm the managing editor. Uh, I, I edit every day of the week, and I write four times a week. It's really just kind of grown from uh, you know a few years ago when I started out. Fourteen. I mean, that's that's insane to think that you were you were bugging the Orlando Magic at fourteen. How many emails did you have to send them before they responded back to you? Oh, man. Uh, I, I sent a few, but they were pretty good about it. You know, I was really fortunate that they let me in the door. Uh, basically, uh, they had me actually, you know, come to a few different games that uh, weren't really busy. You know, I'd go to games that 
were either small market teams or uh, games that were scheduled around the holidays, you know, games that fell on Christmas Day or right around, you know, Thanksgiving. Those, are ten- those tend to be the games that don't have a ton of parental requests. So uh, I was able to get into those games, and uh, I was fortunate, you know. I know a lot of people don't get opportunities. Being able to go cover games and have that experience and meet players uh, and just confirm this is what I wanted to do, that was really huge for me, and I think it definitely helped me get to where I'm at today. What was the first NBA game you covered, and how did it feel? Uh, it was strange. Uh, it was back in December of 2004. Uh, I think it was one of those games that were right around Christmas, so there weren't a lot of people there. Uh, but, yeah, it was really weird. You know, I was a 14-year-old kid. Uh, I looked at these players as, you know, huge celebrities. I was starstruck. Uh, I think my first interview was Jameer Nelson, uh, and he was great. You know, he was really friendly with me. You know, he was making jokes about, you know, being my agent and things like that, joking that I wasn't getting paid and I had to get on that. And, you know, he had to help me get a contract and things like that. You know, he was messing around. But the players were all really cool. You know, I, I was really fortunate to deal with some good guys. You know, Steve Francis was always someone that kind of took me under his wing and really helped me out. Uh, you know, after games, he would come to me and ask me if I had any more questions and stuff because, you know, I think he realized I was just a little kid and was pretty intimidated. And, and But it was it was great, you know. I remember it being pretty surreal, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And actually, that first year, it's kind of interesting. Uh, my dad actually had to come to games with me. You know, they told me that I should bring someone with me. You know, they wanted me to basically have a chaperone to the game. So for that first year, uh, I actually had him come to games with me. And, you know, he wasn't complaining because he got to go to NBA games and, you know, go behind the scenes. Uh, but it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was somewhat strange, though. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, you probably you must have a pretty good support staff if your dad was chaperoning you to the games and was excited about the opportunities you were getting. Yeah, definitely. You know, they've always been really supportive. You know, my dad and my mom, you know, they've been great. From a young age, they really, you know, pushed me to go ahead and, you know, pursue this because it's been my dream job. You know, I've always loved sports. Uh, at a young age, I basically wanted to be a professional athlete, and, and I quickly realized that that wasn't going to happen. So I realized the next best thing would be staying around the game and, you know, trying to write about it, interacting with the athletes that I grew up, you know, watching. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. But, yeah, my parents have been, you know, great. You know, they've they were the ones, you know, taking me to uh, to different games when I was younger, you know, either professional sport events or my own games when I was playing football and basketball and different things like that. Uh, and then, yeah, they, you know, they helped me uh, definitely go into Orlando. You know, I live in Tampa, or I live in Tampa, so uh, making that trek from Tampa to Orlando and, you know, covering games with me, you know, that was, that was a great experience for, for all of us. You're 14 years old. What rookie mistakes did you have? I think the big thing was just figuring out, you know, what to ask players and, and how to navigate behind the scenes you know that first year i was really figuring out you know when the best time to interview players was whether it was pre-game or post-game uh or you know a shoot arounds uh and then what to ask players uh and really just how to go about the whole process you know how to get a one-on-one interview really that first year i did a lot of you know observing i watched other reporters and saw what they did uh that you know at 14 years old i wasn't you know ready to just go up to guys and dominate interviews so i really did a lot of observing that year and figured things out uh, and then, you know, by year two, year three, I was really comfortable. And, you know, I felt okay going up to guys and asking for one-on-one interviews or, you know, asking a big question during a press conference and things like that. So that first year, you know, as a rookie, I would say I just did a lot of learning and observing. But it was an awesome experience. You know, I think uh, pretty much every reporter that kind of steps into that environment, that first year or at least, the, you know, first few months, you're kind of figuring things out and, and kind of learning and figuring out the environment. Uh, and I got to do that at a very young age. You started your career at 14. How old were you when you broke your first big story, and what was it? Uh, I believe I was 16. Uh, it was uh, J.R. Smith. Uh, I think uh, he was on the Nuggets at that point, and uh, I think the Nuggets had told him he wasn't going to be traded. Their GM had contacted him, let him let him know that. So 
Um, he had let me know that during an interview um, that he had been told he wasn't going to be traded, and that got some national attention. Uh, there were a few other free agency stories, too, you know, guys that signed with teams. They're usually smaller free agents, guys that, you know, either been in the D League or, you know, were end-of-the-bench guys. Uh, or there's some bigger ones, too. You know, one time C.J. Watson, uh, he was with the Golden State Warriors. He decided to uh, to leave the Warriors and sign elsewhere, and I broke that one. So there were some little ones like that that got some national attention. But I definitely noticed that that's when uh, my career really started to take off. You know, I didn't get hired at Basketball Insiders and really start working uh, and making some money until I started breaking news. You know, I was doing interviews and writing stories, but I think that's a great way for young journalists to separate themselves from you know, the rest of the crowd, the rest of the pack, because uh, I feel like that's the, that's the best way to kind of get attention and get your work out there. I would call you a digital journalist. Do you like that term, or do you just want to be called a journalist? Well, I like it. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think in today's industry, pretty much everyone, every single journalist, has to, you know, be a digital journalist to some extent. Uh, I, I think we've seen that, you know, the days of just being a newspaper writer and filing a story <laughs> to a newspaper is really are really over. Now I, I think everyone has to be able to do, you know, a bunch of different skills. You know, you have to be really well-rounded now. Um, we've seen that, you know, even newspaper writers have to be able to blog, have to be able to be on camera, shoot video, uh, do all these different things, you know, use social media. All, all these things have really changed uh, journalism. And I think in the past, you know, digital journalist or blogger or, or things like that have been kind of negative terms. You know, people kind of throwing them around uh, and they had negative connotations. But I think now... Uh, you know, people identify as that, and it's not nearly a bad thing. I, I think that's just the way that journalism has kind of adapted. Uh, so I don't mind that term at all. You talked about social media. How has social media changed the NBA and covering the sport? It's definitely changed it. It changed it a lot, you know, especially events like the trade deadline or free agency or the draft. Um, you know, in the past, it, it may have been, you know, a day before you had news come out. People would follow the newspapers, and then, you know, the next morning you would figure out what's happening. Uh, or at least, you know, an hour or two hours later because it had to go through a, you know, an online editor. Now, you know, with social media, you get real-time information. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, the fans are finding out before, about trades or players getting waived uh, before a player does. You know, sometimes we've seen players finding out things over social media, and, and that's just what's, uh, what's able to happen now with reporters being able to send out a tweet within seconds of something happening or them finding out something. So it's really interesting. I, I think uh, – it has definitely changed the race to be, you know, first when it comes to news. Uh, in the past, there really wasn't a, uh, you know, a big rush to be first. You know, certainly people want to break news, but now, you know, with a matter of seconds separating you from being first or, you know, potentially last on a story, it's really interesting to see how it's kind of changed things, especially now that, you know, your, your Twitter following and, you know, your social media audience grows a lot when you break stories. I think we've seen that. You know, like I said, that's when I really started to notice that I was separating myself and getting more attention. Uh, people want to break stories now, and there's certainly, you know, a lot of credit given to people who do break stories. You get more Twitter followers. Uh, so I think it's kind of incentivized that and led to just a ton of real-time information. So it's been really interesting. How have the Internet trolls treated you? Have you, during different... I, I, people love their teams, so I can definitely see people getting very passionate on Twitter and have any have there been any negative Twitter engagements? Oh yeah, definitely. People are people are pretty crazy on Twitter. I've noticed that. You know, especially you know sports fans. They're very passionate. Um, you know, I obviously love passionate fans because uh, if they weren't passionate, I probably wouldn't be doing this. There wouldn't be as much interest in uh, sports journalism. But uh, at the same time, you know, people have been negative and things like that. But you know, I think when you're a journalist, you have to have a pretty thick skin. Uh, I learned that at a pretty young age. 
uh, especially when I was younger, I noticed more people attacking me and things like that. You know, uh, when I was younger, not only was I one of the new journalists that was trying to report things and break news, you know, I was also uh, a pretty young kid. So I, I understand why people didn't want to take me seriously, but I had to fight for my credibility a little bit more because people immediately wanted to doubt me when they saw something, especially if it was negative about their team. You know, if I'm reporting that uh, a guy is, you know, leaving your team or demanding a trade or doesn't want to play for your team, you know, these guys, these fans are passionate. So they get upset and immediately want to discount what I'm saying. Uh, so I definitely experienced that at a, at a young age. Uh, it did change a little bit as I got older. You know, as I started breaking more stories and kind of got my name out there, uh, I noticed it getting a little bit better. But uh, there are still some people that get really worked up over, you know, social media and, and things like that. But I think that's just part of, uh, part of Twitter, part of, uh, you know, comment sections. You're going to run into those things. Did any curmudgeon reporters try to intimidate you in those early days? Uh, no, not really. Uh, people were really nice to me, actually. You know, I think, uh, you know, there, there were a lot of people that kind of took me under their wing and really helped me out. Um, you know, people like Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, Brian Windhorst. Uh, there's a lot of people that really helped me. Uh, Brian Schmitz from the Orlando Sentinel. Uh, there were people that really just tried to, you know, help me out, guide me. Especially a lot of people in Orlando, you know, they, they knew me when I was really younger. And they really helped me out, kind of showed me how to do things and kind of showed me the ropes a little bit. So I didn't really experience that at all. I, I've had a lot of good uh, interactions with different media members that I can't really complain. You've covered the NBA for 10-plus years now. If you could change one thing with the sport, what would it be? I would change the seeding. Uh, I think that, you know, we don't need the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference to each have eight teams in the postseason. I think this season we've seen uh, what that can do to the playoffs. Uh, you know, you can make the argument that, the Western Conference should have way more teams in the playoffs this year than the Eastern Conference uh, just because the East is so weak. So I would like to see that changed. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons that rule uh, is in place is because they wanted the conferences to be strong, obviously, but really it, it was because of logistics. They didn't know how you could have you know, a seven-game series traveling across the country back and forth between an East and West team uh, early in the postseason. They didn't want to do that for every single series early on. Uh, so I think now, you know, it's much easier. Teams obviously travel much easier now. They have their own planes and all that. It would be much easier logistically. So I think it's kind of an outdated rule, uh, and I think it would lead to a much better postseason. You know, if we were able to see a number of these uh, Western Conference teams in the playoffs and take some of these uh, bad East teams out, it would be a much more interesting postseason, in my opinion. Who's the most charismatic basketball player you've ever met? Hmm, that's a tough one. Um I would say the guys I've had the best experience with, uh, in, in terms of current guys, I would say Jamal Crawford, uh, Isaiah Thomas. Those are two guys that really stand out in terms of really great interviews, guys that are charismatic, uh, guys that are funny. Uh, you know, those are guys that I think every journalist likes to talk to. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki is up there. He's been a great interview, you know, for as long as I've been doing this. Uh, I was obviously really young when I first interviewed him. Uh, but I think those guys kind of stand out. I've had really positive interactions with all of them. Uh, their teammates love them. You know, no matter where they go, they tend to be praised. They're really passionate. They give great quotes. Uh, I think there's certain guys like that that, you know, really, you know, care about the media, care about, uh, you know, talking to guys. Uh, I think they, they understand the importance of the media and, you know, getting their side of the story across. So I would say those three guys. I was really surprised when I went through and researched this that auto racing and the NBA are tied with their popularity. What does the NBA need to do to become more popular than auto racing? Yeah, that is surprising. Uh, I think they're trying to do different things. Uh, they're definitely trying to promote their stars. Uh, when the league was at its most popular is when Michael Jordan was playing with the Bulls. I think they've realized that, that uh, you know, their stars are very visible, and people you know, look up to their stars. So they've tried to promote 
LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, uh, the next wave of stars, uh, Steph Curry, obviously, now with an MVP award. Uh, they have some guys, you know, some stars that fans love. So uh, I think they're trying to promote those people. Uh, and I think also they're trying to expand the game globally. You know, they've really tried to get these international fans excited about basketball. Uh, they have games overseas. They do these clinics and events overseas. Uh, so I think that has helped as well. You know, they really want to get overseas fans uh, interested in the NBA, and it's working so far. So I think getting that base, you know, that fan base interested is huge for uh, for the NBA. Other sports haven't been able to do that, you know, get the uh, global audience interested, but the NBA's done a pretty good job of it. You mentioned breaking news for young journalists. What other advice do you have for the future journalists? I would just say write as much as possible. Um, you know, that's what I was able to do at a young age, just kind of going to different websites and freelancing. Uh, I think that helps you build your portfolio, your resume, uh, get a lot of experience. Uh, so I would definitely tell people write as much as possible. Um, and don't be afraid to, uh, to ask for credentials. You know, don't be afraid of rejection. You know, if I hadn't emailed the Orlando Magic PR department when I was uh, really young, I don't know where I'd be today. That really helped me get my foot in the door. So uh, I always tell young journalists, you know, try to get a credential to an event, to a game, to a practice. Uh, try to cover events. Try to interview people. You know, ask uh, people on interview or people on Twitter for interviews, things like that, you know. If you can do these little things, you can build relationships, you can build your you know, resume up, uh, and that experience is huge. The NBA playoffs are in full swing right now. Who did you pick to win the NBA championship this year? Uh, I'm picking the Warriors. They're a great team right now. They're really uh, well-rounded and balanced. Uh, Steph Curry is obviously playing great basketball, but they have so many other guys that are playing at a high level as well. And they can be on both ends of the floor. They have the uh, number one offense and number one defense in the NBA. Uh, when you look at their defense and offensive rating. So uh, the fact that they can just, you know, kill you on both ends of the floor makes them really scary. You know, even when they're not playing well offensively, they can uh, they can make sure you're not scoring the ball either. So uh, I, I think they're the best team right now. Uh, I see them coming out of the Western Conference. And, uh, you know, other teams have been really banged up or had injuries. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the Warriors have kind of gotten through this year pretty healthy. So I had them winning it all. Alex, how can people find your work and you on social media? Uh, well, I write four times a week on Basketball Insiders. I do a chat uh, every Wednesday evening, so you can submit questions on there, and I try to answer all the questions and, you know, discuss uh, basketball, you know, journalism, things like that, just whatever you want to ask about. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter, at NBA. Alex, thank you so much for your time. Thanks a lot. Take care. That, my friends, was Alex Kennedy. You can check out his work on BasketballInsiders.com and follow him on Twitter at AlexKennedy.com. N-B-A. Hey, Matt, we survived another episode. Oh, no! Once again, there are several ways to continue the conversation after the show. Follow us on Twitter at monkeys underscore robots. You can look at our silly photos on Instagram at monkeys fighting robots. You can follow me on Twitter at Matthew Sardo. The biggest compliment we receive is when the subscriber number goes up on SoundCloud. Also, if you have a chance rate our show on iTunes. If you have an Android device, listen to the show on Stitcher. There's also this great app called TuneIn. Listen to every radio station in the universe, plus the Monkeys Fighting Robots podcast. Okay, Lunchbox, let's try this again. There are so many people that made the 11th episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots a success. Special thanks to Alex Kennedy for calling the Monkeys Fighting Robots hotline. Jeff Shade is the creator of our amazing intro. Jessica Wynn designed our Monkeys Fighting Robots logo. Are you a monkey? Are you a robot? The staff at Visual Realm built our website. 
And then there's my wife that doesn't understand why I still transform my transformers every once in a while from robot form to vehicle or gun mode or plane mode or whatever mode they're in. She's never going to get it. To all my friends, family, in the interweb, thank you for joining us for this episode of Monkeys Fighting Robots. It's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.